You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. Our passage this morning is from Genesis 27. So while you find that in your Bibles or if you need a chairback Bible, you'll find it on page 14. Um, I'll tell you about a couple of things. One is that Jeremy's sabbatical has begun. And so we have Jonathan Drendel, our pastoral resident, who will be preaching this morning. Um, and actually we'll be continuing through Genesis, that series, all summer long. And we'll have several people who will be preaching, and most of those people are Jonathan. So we thank him for that. Um, also, the passage this morning is quite long. It's verses 1 through 40 in Genesis 27. We won't be reading it all. We'll be reading just a, sli- a part of that, verses 14 through 29. So please read along with me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father... And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have told you as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near me that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Please join me as I pray. Father God, we do thank you this morning for the truth of your word, and that we can rely upon it, and on the way it deals with our lives. We thank you for Jonathan and the time and study and prayer that he has put into this message. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hate to run. 
short runs, long runs, fast, slow, doesn't matter. I hate running. Now, I'm not judging you if you like to run. Now, I think you're a little crazy and possibly superhuman, but running's just not for me. I'm not built for it. I've got these big clunky legs. I've got lead feet. It just doesn't work out. In fact, I've never remembered liking to run in my entire life. In fact, I remember back in middle school, we had to run a mile in sixth grade. And they made a big deal about it. We had to put on these numbers. They took down our times and I was over it. And about halfway through the run, I decided to take a little shortcut. Rather than taking the full loop around the school, I just cut right through the grass. And I have to admit, I kind of felt bad about it, a little embarrassed, especially when the gym teacher caught me. But I'm not the only one who's ever taken a shortcut in a run before. In fact, there's a couple characters that I've found out from history that also tried to take shortcuts and run. There was a, a jockey named Sylvester Carmucci, who was pretty good jockey back in the 80s, but in 1990, he was racing on a 23 to 1 long shot. And right out of the gates, he fell quickly behind. But it was to everyone's shock when at the end of the race, he had pulled 24 lengths ahead and won the race, shattering course records. Now, it wouldn't have been amazing if it hadn't been for the fact that he'd used the morning fog to cut through the center of the check, landing him a 10-year ban from horse racing. There was a, another runner, a marathon runner that I heard of named Rosie Ruiz, who during the New York Marathon actually hopped off course and hopped onto the subway. And then a few months later when she was in the Boston Marathon, and either, in order to keep up pace with her old score, she tried to cut through the crowd to take off a portion of the race, which she inevitably got caught because she cut through the crowd. You know... It's funny these stories are, nobody likes a cheater. Especially when a cheater cheats and gets away with it. Somebody sneaks ahead at the end of the race when they're not supposed to and and doesn't get caught. It's frustrating. And that's what makes our text this morning feel a little awkward at times. We're diving in and taking a look at a family that is full of people who took shortcuts. And what's even more frustrating is that these are people who are called by God. This is God's family who are called to carry on God's promises and pass them down to generation and generation. And rather than standing up and being a good role model for the rest of the world, we see them cheating and cutting short and trying to fight each other to get ahead. See, this morning we are taking a look at the family of Jacob. And, of course, we know Jacob is literally the name for cheater. But it's not just Jacob in our text this morning. It's his whole family. There's this whole family feud going on over something called a blessing that was to be passed down from the father, Isaac, to his children. And this family feud for us starts all the way back in Genesis 25. We see in chapter 25, Isaac and Rebekah are having trouble having kids. So Isaac went and prayed to God, and God blessed his wife, Rebecca, and her barren womb was filled with two twin boys. And this should have been a, a huge blessing. But rather than a blessing, it turned into this partiality between father and mother. 
You see, Isaac loved Esau the best. He was a, a man's man. He liked to hunt and be outdoors, and he probably had a beard since second grade. And then Rebecca loved Jacob, the youngest, the best. And Jacob was more of an indoor boy. It says that he liked to dwell in tents and stay in size and probably didn't like to get his hands dirty. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But at the center of this feud, and the question we're looking at this morning is which one of these children are going to get the blessing? Is it going to be Isaac's favorite son, Esau, or will it be Rebekah's favorite son, Jacob? And as we look into this, this text this morning, we're seeing them trying to shortcut God's plan and try to cut off the way and not follow the path that God had laid before them. And as we consider these four characters and their sinful actions in this text this morning, I consider you to ask how you might be shortcutting God's plan. Do you feel like you're walking God's plan faithfully? Or maybe you're taking a shortcut here this morning. And to help you understand how you might be shortcutting your walk with God, we're going to take a look at four diagnostic questions for you to ask yourself this morning. Before we do so, please open up your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 27, verses 1 to 40. The first diagnostic question we'll be looking at this morning for you to ask yourself is, am I living by sight or by faith? Am I living by sight or by faith? Now read with me in verses 1 to 4. It says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his son and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the days of my death. Now then, take your weapons and your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I might eat and that my soul may be blessed, may bless you before I die. Now we open up and we zero in on our first character this morning, Isaac. And we find out at this point that Isaac appears to be on his deathbed. We see that his eyes are going down and he thinks he's going to die. And he starts to do what any good patriarch does at the end of their life. He calls in his son and he prepares to bless him. Now, it's worth noting at this point that Isaac isn't actually dying. He just thinks he's dying. In fact, he's going to live another 80 years after this and will have to live with the mistake of his actions that we'll see here in this text. But here, thinking that he's dying, he calls in and prepares to bless his son. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with ancient patriarchal practices... Let me explain what's going on here. You see, when the head of the household, a patriarch, was dying, what they do is they pass on their blessing down to their favorite child. And what this blessing meant is that they were meant to carry on their father's legacy. They were meant to go on and lead the family on afterwards and carry on everything that the father stood for. Now, in the ancient world, this is a huge deal. To receive that blessing meant you were a very important person and meant you had standing in the society. But there's even more at stake here. You see, he's not just passing on a human blessing. He's actually passing on the blessing from Abraham. And for those of you who have been walking with us through the story of Genesis so far, 
Remember that God called Abraham and he blessed him. He said that he would be made into a great nation, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him, and God would give him the land of the Canaanites. So this blessing meant that he would carry on not just Isaac's legacy, but Abraham's legacy. And on the surface, this may seem to make sense, at least from a worldly perspective. Isaac's dying. Esau's his firstborn. He's a man's man. He's everything the ancient world values. So why wouldn't he choose Isaac? But when we start pulling back the layers and we take a look, a deeper look at Esau, we see that there's some issues here. You see, when we first meet Esau in chapter 25, we find out that Esau, after coming back from the field, sells his birthright to his brother Jacob for a bowl of lentil soup. I know we're not usually associated with birthrights, but this birthright is what connects him to his father Isaac. And what connects him to his father Isaac connects him to Abraham. So what he's doing by selling that away is despising connection to the man who was called by God. On top of that, we see him at the end of 26 marrying two Hittite women who were cut off from God's people and outside of God's design plan to carry on this legacy. You see, Esau is not the right choice. Isaac is looking at a worldly perspective. He's looking, ironically, what looked good to his own eyes rather than what God wanted for his people. You see, he should have understood that this man did not follow after the the pattern that was set down for Abraham. But rather than setting his sights on what God wanted, he turned aside and was looking at what the world wanted. You see, when we get distracted from God in our walk with Christ, we get distracted from what God is doing in our life. When our Bibles start gathering dust, when we forget to pray, when we go on in our life operating as if God isn't there, before we know it, we quickly veer off course and we find ourselves navigating the way the world wants us to rather than the way God has called us to. So for those of us here this morning who are struggling and wrestling with, in their faith and struggling to, uh, to take their eyes off of what the world is doing, your application this morning is very simple. Set your future in God's hands. You see, how different was Isaac's situation be if he would have played, prayed first and acted later? And I know praying doesn't always seem like the most efficient thing. I know sitting back and taking the time to consider God first isn't always, doesn't always feel practical. But I tell you this morning, there is nothing more practical and nothing more efficient than doing things God's way the first time. When we try to forge forward on our own path, we are forced to take the long way around, even though we think we're taking a shortcut. We have to be people of prayer. We have to be the people of God's word, seeking after what God's desire is for our life, rather than trying to act on our own actions. We have a God who loves us, who sent his son to die for us. And he wants to speak into your life. 
Don't squander your connection of God just because you want to be efficient and just because you want to be a person of action. But maybe you're here this morning and you have no problem diving into the Bible. You have no problem diving into prayer. But you may have some little control issues. Rather than doing things God's way, you want to do things your way. I know what God's promised, but I want to do it my way. Well, this second diagnostic question is, is for you this morning. Question number two. Am I trying to control God's plan? Now, as we read on in verses 5 to 7, as you'll see there in the text, I'm not going to read these, but you can look down here and, and follow along in your Bibles. We find out that Rebecca is listening in outside the tent as Isaac is telling Esau his plan. And while Isaac is relaying this story, Rebecca calls in her younger son, Jacob, and sets in motion a plan of her own. She says to her son and commands him to go out to the field and grab some goats and to go in and try to steal Isaac's blessing while Esau is out in the field. Now, clearly, this is one messed up family. These dynamics are all over the place. We've got uh, mother and father favoring one child over the other. We've got Isaac, who is trying to bless Esau secretly in a ceremony that should have been public. And now we have Rebecca, who wants to cheat her old, blind, dying husband out of a blessing. And for any of you here who are struggling with a family that feels messed up, I want to give you an assurance. God uses messed up people. God is intervening in the lives of these people who are trying to swindle and cheat and lie to one another because God is gracious to messed up people. For you who are struggling with family issues, remember you're in good company. Each and every one of us have messed up stories. And if you don't believe it, dive into the Bible and read the stories of the people that God blessed. And we see here that Rebecca, rather than trying to fix her broken family, decides to stick to the the low road. And she schemes and cheats and tries to twist around this blessing for her younger child. But Jacob notices an issue with her plan. And this is what he says here in verse 11. He says, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself. You see, what Jacob is pointing out here is that, well, there's a huge reward involved in the situation. The risk is astronomical. I mean, Jacob is the opposite of Esau. Esau is, is the wolf man, and Jacob is a, a boy who probably can't grow a beard at 50 years old. He's realizing that if he walks in and tries to trick his father, he might be cursed. But listen to Rebecca's response here in verse 13. She says, Let your curse be on my shoulder, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. Now, at this point, you might be wondering, why is Rebecca so adamant that Jacob receives this blessing? And she's willing to go out of her way to try to force this blessing into his hands and even receive a curse upon her shoulders, which 
For those of you who don't know what a curse is, it's the equivalent of being condemned. Well, the answer to that question of why Rebecca is so adamant, we find back in chapter 25, verse 23. This word of the Lord comes to Rebecca when she feels Jacob and Esau wrestling inside of their womb before they're born. She went to the Lord, and the Lord said this to her in Genesis 25, verse 23. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided, and the one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. You see, the understanding that Rebecca is operating under is that God has chosen Jacob. She's received this word of God. She understands what God has said to her. You see, her, her problem here in this situation is not that she doesn't believe God's word. In fact, she very adamantly believes what God is saying to her. She just doesn't want to wait for God to do what he said he'll do. So she's taking this shortcut to try to take the the long way around, to take this curse upon her shoulders, to try and push her son forward into a dangerous situation and willingly accepting the curse upon her shoulders. Now, the irony of the situation here is that Rebecca has no authority to actually take this curse on her own shoulders. On top of that, in everything that she's trying to do to force God's plans forward... She's doing nothing to control what God is doing. God has already said that he's going to bless Jacob. God has already said that the younger will serve the older. But for some reason, she thinks here that the God of creation, the ones who spoke out heaven and earth, need her plan to fulfill her plan. She sees thinking that God needs her help. And well, you may not realize that by trying to control God's plan, you are trying to help or aid the author of creation. It's exactly what you're doing. When we try to treat ahead with our, in our race with God, we are, trying, we are telling God that you need my help. For those of you who are, who are struggling in your job to be patient and wait on God for, for you, Him to lead you forward, For those of you who are struggling, uh, uh, waiting on marriage and not being patient for God to bring you forward a spouse. For those of you who'd rather cheat in your budget and try to get forward on your taxes, you are telling God that he needs your help to bless you. Those of you who struggle with control issues this morning, you're to control God's plan. What we have to realize this morning is there's a difference between what God is asking you and what God is promising you. See, if God is asking you to do something, by all means, step forward in faith and respond to God's calling. But if God is promising something to you, he does not need your help to bring it to fulfillment. God is working in your life to bring about his purpose, to bring about his plan, to place you exactly where he needs you to be. We have to trust God to intervene. Church, I have to admit that I've been here too many times to count. In fact, I remember in the heat of the pandemic, when everything was locked down, I was frustrated. 
I knew that God had called me into ministry, but I wasn't ministering. I knew God had called me to be a pastor, but I wasn't pastoring. And I was so anxious about stepping into ministry. I spent all my time looking at job interviews, scouring the market, only to realize that people weren't hiring in a pandemic. I even sunk so low to want to leave the church that had taken so much care of us. And I'm so thankful for my wife for intervening on my behalf, unlike Rebecca, faithfully, to lead us to stay here at Mill Creek. As I look back, it's amazing what God has done. And I had no idea the path he would lead us down. You have to trust that God will lead you where he's calling you to go. And not try to control and force yourself forward in his plan. But maybe you're here this morning and wondering, God's plan even for me? I feel like I'm outside of God's people. I wonder if I'm even a Christian. Well, this third question, diagnostic question, is for you this morning. Question number three, am I okay with living in sin? Now, as we move forward in 18 to 29, we shift gears to focus in on Jacob, who is now reluctantly following through with his mother's plan. And you have to appreciate this situation. His mom takes some of Esau's clothes, takes a goat and skins it and puts the hair over his arms and sends him into his father's tent. So here he is in his makeshift Halloween costume, dressed up like a wolf, in clothes that are probably two sizes too big for him, trying to convince his father that he's Esau. I mean, just picture that. I- I'm Esau. <coughs> I'm Esau. <laughs> and obviously, as Jacob goes in, his father is extremely suspicious, as we read here in verse 20. It says, But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answers, because the Lord your God granted me success. Now, we see here that Jacob is just like his mother, quick to think up a lie and scheme on the spot. And we even see him doubling down on his lie and adding blasphemy onto the ticket. Jacob takes the Lord's name in vain by claiming that God did something he didn't do. And clearly what we're seeing here is Jacob is no role model. Jacob is not the guy that you're asking your kids to go follow and and be like Jacob. Jacob's kind of a punk. Well, it's mother's plan. Jacob is just as guilty in this situation. But ultimately, we're going to see Rebecca's plan come into action. Even though Isaac is suspicious, Isaac is actually going to bless Jacob. And it leaves us wondering, well, how could Jacob be the one who receives the blessing? He's a liar. He is being controlled by his mother. He is not the righteous one in the situation. So why is it that he is blessed? Well, what we should note here is that though Jacob steals the blessing, Jacob has no authority to take the blessing. And on top of that, Isaac has no authority to give the blessing. At the end of the day, it's only God who can bless us. The other day, it was God who spoke into the situation and said, I choose Jacob. And when we see Jacob acting as a sinner in this situation, 
If you stick with us through our series, we'll see how God works in Jacob's heart and brings him back around to be faithful to God. But here we're stuck with Jacob the deceiver. And we see that the blessing goes to Jacob as we read here in verses 27 to 29. It says, So he came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garment and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son. It is as the smell of the field that the Lord God has blessed. May God give him the dew of the heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Behold, over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now, as we read the first portion of this blessing, we see that obviously it's tailored towards Esau. Because Esau is a man of the field, a, a man of the wilderness. He blesses him with the, with the dew of the earth with the the smell of the fields, with all the good things that the earth has to offer. But I want to draw your attention to the second half of this blessing. In verse 29, it says in the beginning, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. And then in the end, it says, curse be everyone who curses you and bless be everyone who blesses you. Now, for those of you who have been tracking along with us in our Genesis series, that might, may sound awful familiar. You see, this blessing sounds an awful lot like the blessing that God gave to Abraham. Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. You see, what Isaac is doing in this situation is speaking prophetically into Jacob's life. And while he doesn't know it at the time, and he may not even realize that he is handing away Abraham's blessing, he is speaking God's word over Jacob. And while the realities and the truths of the situation are not present yet in our text, we will see how God shapes and molds Jacob, even though he's a sinner. Even though he's a man who gives, doesn't bat an eye at doing wrong. Even though he is a man who willingly wants to cheat his own father out of a blessing. Even though he's a man who seemingly has no connection to God. In fact, we see in the text, when Jacob is concerned about the situation, he's not even really concerned about the morality of the issue. He's more concerned that the curse might be on his shoulders. He's scared of saving his own tail. You see, Jacob's a sinner. Jacob is a man who would rather walk in sin than submit to God's calling. And for those of us reading this text, it's not our call to emulate Jacob in this situation. You see, for us who have been called by Christ, we've been called to a higher standard of living. We've been called to clothe ourselves in righteousness, to emulate Jesus Christ, our Savior, to walk in his righteousness and not walk in the sins of the world. We can't be okay with operating in sin. It doesn't matter whose idea it was. It doesn't matter if other people are doing it. We are not to walk in sin. For those of you this morning who are willingly walking in sin, your application is to stop accepting your sin. That's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. He says, what shall we say then? 
Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You see, what Paul is saying here is that we have become partners with Christ. The righteous, holy Christ. The one who stepped down from heaven. The one who is perfect in righteousness. And God is not a partner with sin. And when we willingly step into sin, we are taking ourselves out of God's path and forcing ourselves to wrestle with a holy God. Well, Jacob ultimately gets the blessings. We will see him stumble and trip and fall over and over and over again because he's willing to accept his sin. You see, for us this morning, we have to understand that we are sinners and we have to repent and turn to God. For us, when we wrestle with the brokenness of our flesh, when the brokenness of our bodies, we have to be willing to go before God and accept his grace and accept that God is better. You see, God will ultimately be the one who blesses Jacob. But Jacob is falling under the illusion that he is blessing himself. But maybe you're here this morning and you're not actually sure that you're a sinner. Maybe you're not certain about this Christian thing. Maybe you're not even following the Bible. Or maybe you're here in a Christian and you're wondering, is sin really all that bad? I'm not as bad as those other guys. Well, this final diagnostic question is for you this morning. Am I trying to deserve God's blessing? Now we step in and focus on the final character this morning, Esau, who we find has eventually come back from the field. And we read here in verses 33 to 35 that they find out the sad news and what Jacob has done. It says, Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who is it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Now, at this point, it might be tempting to feel bad for Esau. I mean, back in 25, clearly he made a dumb move. He traded away his birthright for a blessing. We know that was wrong. But here, he was doing exactly what his father asked him to do, right? And Jacob snuck in beside him and stole his blessing. But I want to point out something to you here in Esau's reaction. He says this in verse 36. Is not, he not rightly called Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Now, did you catch that? He said, my birthright. My blessing. You see, this reveals something about Esau's heart. Esau is operating under the understanding that what God has to offer belongs to him. He says, this is my blessing. Because of who I am, I am the firstborn. I am the manly son. This belongs to me. 
And maybe in a normal family in the ancient world, this may be true. The firstborn should get the blessing. But this is God's family. This is God's blessing. And what we have to understand as we navigate through the word of God is that none of us deserve to be blessed by God. Each and every one of us fall short of God's glory. Each and every one of us are falling short of who God is. And when we stand before God and we say, we deserve your blessing, we deserve your heaven, we are standing and staring at God's face and saying, I am just as good as you are. God who spoke out the cosmos, God who formed galaxies and every molecule, You are standing before a righteous God and saying, I deserve what you have to offer. Ultimately, we see Jacob's heart and we see it revealed in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 15. As the author begins to warn his people about falling down the path of the sinful Esau. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. That no, sexual, no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. See, what Hebrews is telling us, is that Esau here thought this blessing belonged to him. And though it seems like Jacob may have cheated him out of the blessing, Esau gave it away. Esau squandered what God had to offer and looked at what God had to to give him and said, this belongs to me. And ultimately here in the text, we see that Esau's fate is sealed in stone. In verse 38 to 40, Isaac speaks prophetically into Esau's life. He says, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now what we see here is that Esau receives the opposite of everything Jacob receives. Well, Jacob receives the blessing Esau receives the equivalent of a curse. But there is an element of grace here. You notice at the end in verse 40 that says that eventually he will break the yoke from his neck. And what this is saying is that eventually Esau will form a great nation. Eventually God will make him into a great people. But will Esau will receive earthly grace, earthly blessings... Ultimately, we'll see that he is cut off from God's people. Not because he wasn't born of Abraham, but because he believed that he deserved the blessings of God. And if you are here this morning thinking that you have earned your way into heaven, if you are here this morning and think that you earn what God has to offer, your application. See, each and every one of us falls short of God's glory. Each and every person here is a sinner. 
And what the Bible tells us is that there's only one way to stand before God. It's when we repent of our sins and turn towards our our creator and, and beg him to offer us his grace. And what we see in our story, we are expecting models to emulate. We are seeing that each and every one of these people are sinners. But even though they're sinners, we see God's grace working through their lives, blessing them despite the fact that they're sinful and trying to take shortcuts in God's plan. And if God can bless Jacob, God can bless you. Ultimately, we're seeing people fall short of the glory of God. But we are also seeing these people point forward to another truth. In our text, we are seeing the father, Isaac, who is showing partiality to a sinful son and rejecting another. We are seeing Rebecca, who is longing to take her son's curse upon her shoulder. We are seeing Jacob, who is lying and cheating his way to stand before his father. And we are seeing Esau, who thinks he deserves God's grace. Well, ultimately, these these figures are inadequate for us to find our blessing. They do point forward to another figure. A figure who is the perfect son, who may stand before the, the father, not because he is the firstborn, but because he is perfect in all of creation. We are looking forward to another son who willingly took your curse upon his shoulder. And we are looking forward to a sinner clothed in the righteousness of Christ who does not deserve to stand before God but can very boldly and confidently walk up to God's throne to receive his blessing. I'm here to tell you this morning that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are that sinner. You are the one who are clothed in Christ's righteousness. You are the one who no longer has to try to take shortcuts to God's throne. On this path towards righteousness, on this path towards God's blessing, we don't have to fight and strive and argue and cheat and steal because we have Jesus who willingly took your curse upon his shoulder and laid down his life that you would be clothed in his righteousness. And God will accept you as his wonderful and beloved son because Jesus laid down his life for you. But there's also a stern warning this morning. If you are thinking that you deserve God's blessing, ultimately you will be rejected from God's people. For you who think you can measure up for God, you will be condemned in your sin. But the hope that Esau did not have in our text this morning is the hope that is standing right here in front of you. And if you too turn to Jesus, he will offer you all the blessings of heaven. The eternal life that you could never live on your own. The blessing that you could never receive by your actions. You just have to be willing to repent and accept Jesus. I urge you this morning to take that step. Stop taking shortcuts and follow Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. 
God, you have poured out your love for us in Jesus Christ, the author of salvation. God, you have given us a grace we do not deserve, and you have clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. God, we thank you that we can confidently stand before your throne, sing your praises, and glorify your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.